Hey, good morning. Happy Easter, guys. How are you? Yeah, feeling good. Good to see you guys. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a great day. I, I suited up. If y'all know that I don't wear this ever, but I did today. I had to find one to like pick it up a little bit for Easter, but uh, I'm just really glad that you guys are here and, and worshiping with us and celebrating the resurrection today. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about hope and when hope dies. Do you remember where you were when hope died a little bit for you? Maybe something fun, maybe something serious, but the, the light sort of went out, and you were like, oh, I thought this was going to be, and then it, it wasn't, and it didn't happen. Um, a fun one for me, uh, kind of fun, is, is I'm a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan, the NFL, and in, the, in September, almost all the teams in the NFL have hope. You sort of go like, oh, this could be our year, and last year there was all this excitement, and this could be our year, whatever, and um, the first two weeks of the season, the Buccaneers played really well. They beat teams they shouldn't have beaten. They were, like, scoring. They were, like, setting records for scoring and stuff. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is the moment. Like, we are there. This is the year. We're going to be amazing. Now, any of you Redskins fans in the room know how this story ends. You know, you're like, yeah, yeah, I've been there before. It's kind of like you, you think it's going to happen. It's kind of like how Browns fans feel right now. Uh, that's how I felt a year ago. I was like, this is it. This is our moment. So week three of the NFL, I went down to Florida to visit my mother. Uh, she was recovering from a surgery, and I went down to spend the week with her. Well, I got down there on a Monday, and the Buccaneers happened to be playing in Tampa Stadium on a Monday night. Uh, and I was like, you know, when am I going to get a chance to see them in, in a home game on a Monday night? I, I, I'll just get a ticket and go to the game. So I, I, I went, I flew down there. I, I went to see my mom. As I'm going to her house, I, I was like, Mom, uh, I'm going to go to the Buccaneers game, you know, like, hope you're recovering from your surgery. When I get there, I'm just going to leave and go to the game. She's like, really? You're going to go? So she's like, well, bring me Taco Bell. So I brought Taco Bell, which is a terrible life decision, but it was delicious. Uh, I was like, I don't eat Taco Bell. I was like, what? You know, because she doesn't eat out a lot. I'm like, what kind of food do you want? She's like, how about Taco Bell? I'm like, what? All right, cool. So we did that. And then I was like, see, and I went down to watch the Bucks play. And so I go there, it's all the excitement of a Monday night, and I get there, and it's like all Steelers fans in the whole stadium, they're like waving towels and stuff, and I'm like, stop, just stop. This is not how this is supposed to be. And the Bucks end up throwing like three interceptions, they blow the game, the Steelers win the game, they have this, the Bucks try to come back and they end up losing. And what I didn't realize in the moment, but I, I do think a little piece of my hope died in that moment, because we were so good up until then, and then it was like, this is when the wheels came off, we were like, oh... Maybe we're not going to be good this year. Maybe this isn't really going to work out. And, and maybe you've felt that before, right? You, 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 it's that moment where you go, oh, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. And maybe it wasn't something fun like football. Maybe it's something a little more serious. Maybe there's a moment on the honeymoon or early in the marriage where you were like, oh, I, this isn't going to work out. I don't think I, I thought it was. I, maybe I was blinded by love or we were just making plans for a wedding and didn't really pay attention. But there's some like real problems here. And when you figured that out, a little piece of you died. A little bit of hope died inside of you. Maybe you got the diagnosis and they said, you know, mom is not doing well and she's got maybe six months to live. And this is hard, and it's hard to treat, and there's some experimental therapies you could try, and so you look into all those, and you WebMD everything you can and try to figure out what can we do, and you start praying for mom that she will recover, and you get the whole church praying for mom, and, and, and you think you've got six months or maybe more with her, and she, she dies within three, and, and you, 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 when she died, a little bit of hope inside of you died too, a little, a little piece of you 
died as well. And that was the moment where uh, the, the light kind of went out. And, you're, and you want to remain upbeat and hopeful, but your hope takes a, a big hit that day. Maybe you wanted to be married and you've never gotten married, so you're single and you go on dates and you think maybe this is the one. You've been on plenty of those dates where you thought it was the one and and you've hung out with people. Maybe you've gotten to know someone really well and just as time went on, you found some sort of irreconcilable differences where you just go, oh, I wanted this to be the one, but it's not working out. I guess this person isn't it. I had really hoped they would be. And then you break up and then you kind of go back into that cycle. And it's hard because childhood you or maybe young adult you would have looked at you at the age you are at now and said, oh, you'll definitely be married by then. But you're like, I don't know, there's 7 billion people in the world and I haven't been able to find the one that is a a, a fit for me. And maybe there's a piece of you that just stops hoping at all that that could happen. Uh, There's something in you that the light has kind of gone out. You go, man, I'd rather not have high hopes and get them dashed. I'd rather just keep my hopes very low that that would ever happen. There's different stuff for for all of us where we have uh, broken and, and dashed hopes, where we have disappointment. I, I, it happens over the years. We think all is lost. Something dies around us and then something dies inside of us. This is the loss and the disappointment of, I think it's just the human condition. I, as a pastor in the church, I see it all the time. I disappoint people and that stinks. Um, I see people getting disappointed. I have felt my own pain and, and disappointment. Um, and just talking to people, I see a lot of stuff. Uh, I lead a group on Monday nights called Starting Point. It's a group for, for new people getting connected in with, with the church. And, and we, one night we talked about periods of, of pain. When, when was there a time when you went through a, a period of pain or disappointment? And uh, a lot of people in the room went around and shared some hard stuff. I mean, a random basically a random sampling of 11 people, and you had, you know, uh, we had a stroke, or, or I was abused as a child from, by my parents, and there's just these different things. Um, and then one guy at the end said, well, the, the hardest pain period of my life was a two-week period when I came back from, uh, when they told me I was deployed overseas, and they said, your brother died in a motorcycle accident, so I was brought home, and when I got home, I met up with my wife, and she said, I don't want to be married to you anymore, and she started a divorce, and then I went to see my family to, sell, to, to, to mourn at the funeral, and during that time, my other brother committed suicide, so in a two-week span, I lost both brothers and my wife, and I don't know how you get back up from that. I don't know how you walk again. I don't know how you get out of bed. I don't know how you hope again. I don't know how you believe anything good is coming because it seems like everything has crashed down. And maybe some of you in this room know exactly what that's like when, when, hope, when something dies and your hope dies with it. We've been reading through the final week of Jesus' life almost 2,000 years ago. And it all leads up to him going to Jerusalem and he's going to die there. He's, he's going, um, but as he enters in Jerusalem on a Sunday, he goes in there and everybody's worshiping him as a king. They, they really thought he was the guy. They thought he would be their king. You see, Rome at the time had come in and kind of dominated Israel. And Israel, the Jews are very devout and religious and, and they have sacred spaces and they have their temple and all these things. And Rome comes in and Rome is relatively 
pagan and gross compared to the, the Jews. And, and, and the Romans have changed the temple around and they've sort of made, taken the Jews' sacred space and kind of ruined it. And so there's just all this stuff going on. And so to the Jews living in Israel, they're hoping a king will come along. And Jesus' closest followers, his disciples, have been traveling around with him for three years at this point. And they've seen this guy do miracles. They've seen him raise people from the dead. They've seen him walk on water. They've seen him feed thousands of people with just a little bit of food. They've seen him teach in a way that no one else in that time would teach. He would teach as if someone, like he was someone who was with God rather than someone who just had some thoughts or speculations about God. There was something different about Jesus. And when they went into Jerusalem, they were like, this is our moment. He's going to make Israel great again. This is our guy. We're, 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 tying, we're tying ourselves to him. This is going to be awesome. And then on that Friday, the Roman government, in, in, in working with the Jewish high priest, they worked together to have Jesus crucified and killed there on a Friday. He's killed on the cross. He is put on the cross, and Scripture teaches that him going on the cross, he bears our sins. All of our sins were put on him when he goes to the cross. Everything you've ever done wrong uh, in history that goes on Jesus that day, and God punishes uh, those sins in Jesus on the cross. That's why our cross here has all these papers attached to it. In our Good Friday service, we had hundreds of people come and, and nail their sins to the cross of different things that they're, that they're wrestling with. Um, so Jesus does that on a Friday, and that looks bad. And if you're one of Jesus' closest followers, you're like, this was my dude, and now it's over. Game over. Let's all go home. This isn't working. He challenged, Jesus had challenged the authority. He poked the bear of, of the Jewish authorities in Jerusalem, and the bear rose up and, and struck him down and killed him. And so they take him, they give him a proper burial, they put him in a tomb, and they wrap him up a little bit like a mummy, and they would lay his body there, and then they put a stone over it. And that's pretty much the end of the story. A guy rose up against the Roman Empire, and the Romans beat him down like they had done to so many people before. Or at least you think that's the end of the story. That was Friday. Saturday, it goes quiet. And then on Sunday, Sunday morning, this happens, which completely changes the whole narrative. And I want to read it to you. There's a physician in, in that first century named Luke, and he went through and gathered the details of this, and he wrote down this account of what had happened. And in Luke uh, 23, I want to read it to you starting with verse 50. Now, there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, who had not consented to their decision and actions, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid it in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. Uh, the, the, the women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. And then chapter 24 starts this way. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. All right, there's a couple things going on here. Jesus is killed and, and put in a tomb on Friday, and then Saturday, nothing, and then Sunday morning, these women go to the tomb with spices to put it on his dead body, um, 
And then they get there and they don't, he's not there. And the stone is gone. There's some cloths there, burial cloths that he had been wrapped in, and that's gone. And they don't know what's going on. Now, this is a significant detail because it's women who go and do this. In the ancient world, women were believed to be liars, not reliable. Um, they, you could not count on a woman's testimony in court. Now, very different than today, all right? That was the ancient world. That's not today. But in the ancient world, that's the way they viewed women. And so when Luke records that the very first people that find out that Jesus is risen from the dead are women, that actually doesn't look good for Christianity in the ancient world. It is not, that is not the way you want to tell that story if you're making up a story. The reason Luke records that women were the first people to the tomb is that women were the first people to the tomb. And Luke is trying to give you history. He's not trying to give you well, this would make us look good. He's just saying, this is what happened. These women came, they got there to put these spices on Jesus' body. He's not there, and it was very confusing. Then look what's happened. Verse 4. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful man and be crucified, crucified and on the third day rise? So they get there, and while they're there, they says these two men appear to them in dazzling apparel. I love that word. They're, they're in dazzling apparel. I think of Elton John when I think of dazzling apparel. I'm like, do they have like big sunglasses on? And like, I'm like, what is dazzling apparel? Like, how amazing do these guys look? Well, it's a way of saying that something about them glowed um, and, and, that, and that these weren't men necessarily. They were angels. There's something different here. Maybe they sort of appeared in sort of a male sort of way, but these are angels. And they appear to these women while the women are bowing down to the ground because they realize, okay, this is pretty significant. Something's going on here. Uh, they say to them, why do you look for the living among the dead. And that's an interesting question. It's not a, uh, it's, it's not a question that, you know, you know it's um, maybe rhetorical in a sense. They're, they're asking this question. I think in a sense it's therapeutic. They're trying to move these women along in, in their understanding and say, look, you came here looking for something dead, but that's, you're in the wrong place. Uh, they're trying to help them understand what's really going on. It's that question, why do you keep looking in areas of dead for things that are alive? Um, if I could take it out of that context for a second, I think that question's good for us today. Why do we keep going to the areas and the places that are dead in order to find something that has life? Why do we stay in relationships that are dead in hoping that they will bring us life? Well, they won't. When will, we, when will we sort of go, you know what, this is actually dead, it's not going anywhere, I need to go somewhere else. Why will we continue down a career path that we know is dead? We call this beating a dead horse, right? What are you doing when you beat a dead horse? You're whipping that thing hoping it'll go. It won't go. The proper behavior when you're on a dead horse is to dismount the horse and then go do something else. Why do we keep going to the places where there's death in hopes to find life? I think, I mean... We all do that at times, right? Over and over. We keep chasing things that has no life in them. We keep going back to them and hoping that there will be life and there's no life there. And so that's the question that they're asked. Um, why are you looking? And, and notice what they said to him. 
Um, they said, don't you remember when you were in Galilee? Remember Jesus already taught you this. You should know what's going on here. He said, he taught you that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, crucified and on the third day rise. He, he's saying not, and, and I miss this sometimes when I, I've read it in the past. I just thought, oh, he just told him that Jesus had predicted this. No, he didn't just say Jesus predicted this. He said, this must happen. Jesus ahead of time said, I must die in Jerusalem. I am going to do this on Passover, and I will come back from the dead. And these angels are like, hey, remember, he's already told you that this had to happen. I think he's trying to help, the angels are trying to help these, these, these ladies along to, in their understanding to say, like, um, you need to understand this wasn't an accident, what happened here. Jesus gave up his life on purpose. And I think a lot of times when we talk about the, the, the crucifixion of Jesus, we miss that part of of the narrative. We, we sort of, modern day, especially if people don't really dig into the Gospels and read it, they kind of get into this space of like, oh yeah, Jesus was a really good guy, you know, like a lot of good guys in history, and he taught things, he was nice to people, and he, and he, and he uh, healed people, and he just he did some great stuff, but you know, our culture is so bad, and people are so bad, and eventually the bad people rose up and they killed the good guy. It's just a big, bad, cruel world that we live in. And this should be a reminder to us, that's not what happened here. Sure, the Romans, and there's issues there, and sure, there was jealousy on the part of the high priest. There was a lot of that going on. But notice what's really going on here. Jesus voluntarily gave up his life. He orchestrated his own death, as we've been looking at over the last couple weeks. It's not that, it's not that uh, somebody just happened to rise up and take his life from him. He did it on purpose. He chose this. And he didn't just die in order to show us how to live sacrificially or how to pour ourselves out for other people or how to stand against injustice. He died to pay for our sins and to take them with him on the cross because we were never going to be able to pay for our sins on our own. So let's continue on. Verse 8. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told them these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. Okay, a couple things here. Not only does James say that women were the first ones to go to the tomb, uh, he also names some of them. Now why does he do that? So he says, Mary Magdalene, he says, uh, Joanna, Joanna's mentioned earlier in Luke as the wife of an administrator for King Herod, so someone with kind of political connections, and then Mary, mother of James. So these, these women, he names them. Uh, why does he name them? Well, let me put it to you this way. I grew up in a, in a little town in Florida called Spring Hill, and you don't know Spring Hill unless you know about the wiki-watchy mermaids. Um, that's our thing. So we have mermaids. I don't know what you have in your town. Ours is mermaids. Um, it's sad, really. It's, anyway, so... What if I told you, a couple decades later now, what if I said, yo, guys, in my hometown in 1989, this one kid died and then he came back from the dead? You'd be like, mm, no, I don't, I don't your, your town's weird. I don't think that happens. Um, and then I said, no, no, I'm not the only person who saw it. Ask this person, this person, this person. I start naming a bunch of people. Well, you could go down to my town and find those people and ask them, did this really happen? This is why Luke is recording names. He's saying, hey, this really happened. 
here are some people that saw it. You can ask them. It adds to the credibility of this whole thing. Now, when these women come to the men, the apostles, there's 11 of them at this point. Judas is betrayed and is gone. When the, when the, when the women come, uh, these men do not believe the women, right? And they're like, y'all are crazy. This is an idle tale. And before we're like, before you jump into every sort of like uh, misogyny and it's the patriarchy and all these things, look, here's the reality. If anybody comes to you and is like, hey, you know the guy that we all saw murdered? He was alive. We went there. He's gone now. You'd be like, I don't think so. I think you got the wrong tomb. I think you're clearly mistaken because as we all know, dead people stay dead. This is not what happened. Whatever you think you saw, that's not what happened. And so they're, let's cut them some slack. They're skeptical, as would all of us be if someone comes to you and says, this guy came back from the dead. One guy among the group uh, decides to go check it out for himself. Look at verse 12. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. I love that. I wish we had more details. I wish I, I, wish I could know what Peter's thought process was as he marveled at what he had seen. Because for Peter, he was a fisherman in Galilee in northern Israel. He gave up that life to follow Jesus around for three years. He had witnessed Jesus turn water into wine and all the crazy things Jesus did for years. He watched him get brutally murdered on that Friday, and he thought the game was over and that maybe he had to go back and pick up his fisherman job again, I guess, and just try to start over. The dream had died. The hope was gone. The light had gone out. And then he sees this. He goes to see it for himself, and he marvels at what had happened. That's a big moment for him because in that moment his hope had died but right there he's like, wait a second, hope was on the ropes here. But Jesus then got out of the tomb and what did Jesus think that moment meant for him? Here's what it didn't mean. Peter didn't walk away from that tomb and go, well, Jesus rose from the dead metaphorically it, 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 as a way of teaching us that we need to rise and overcome our problems. You don't, you don't hear that kind of thing from Peter. He doesn't drift into some sort of like psychological hug about, about this. He's not like, oh, it's just a metaphor. It's just a story. He didn't really rise from the dead. It's just kind of what you think, you know, just the idea that we should all overcome. No, for Peter, it was, hey, this dude was my friend. He was very dead. They killed him. And then he and I had breakfast later. Like, that, that comes later in the story. But we, we, we hung out. Like, he was... Very dead, now not dead. That has a way of changing your life. You show me the person who goes dead and then not dead, and, and, I'll, and I'll be like, you should probably talk to them and ask them how they did that and, like, what they're doing and what they're about. Because if you want to add credibility to, like, your knowledge of the world and the universe, you go ahead and die and come back from the dead. Because if you do that, I'm going to ask you all the things about all the things. <laughs> like, oh, you clearly know something. And so Jesus, who had been teaching with great authority and wisdom and all this stuff, he had taught about all the things about all the things, then he puts an exclamation point on this thing and goes, actually, even death, the worst thing you can imagine is dying. Even that, I got that too. And he comes back from the dead. That's what Peter uh, teaches for the rest of his life. What, is, what does he conclude that it meant? Listen to him writing a letter. Peter writes a letter decades later as an old man in Rome. He writes this. Blessed be the God and Father, this is 1 Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a good welcome 
opener for a letter. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through what? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. This is what Peter concludes the resurrection means. He said, look, because that guy came back from the dead, we get to do that too. There's a hope and a future for us. This resurrection is everything. We now know there's something beyond death. The great question, what happens when I die? And right now, maybe we have all these different answers, and our culture gives answers, and the Roman world gave answers. Everyone has answers. What happens when you die? And it's some version of I saw a great light, or there's a tunnel, or there's this warm place, or nothing happens. You just get blown out like a candle, and then you're just gone, and often you drift into the universe or whatever. All of these ideas of what happens when I die, a lot of them are weird. Some of them are scary. Who knows? And we, and we, and in a lot of ways, we fear death. We, we talk about it like, ooh, I don't know, and they passed away. We don't even want to say that someone died. And yet for Peter, he saw, oh, what happens when you die is that you come back like it's actually possible to live again. And this resurrection that Jesus went first and showed us this, and it means that we can go there as well, that we can be born again and we can live again past death. It is the game changer We've learned that death is not the end. And this isn't just good news. This is the best news. This is the best news that I could give any of us. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know your specific situation. And, 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 and maybe we could sit down and have coffee and you could say, oh, this relationship's dying. And, and I could listen to you and be empathetic and be like, oh, man, I'm really sorry. And sorry you're going through this. And, and maybe there's a piece of advice I could give you that might make something feel better. But at the end of the day, the best thing I could tell you is this is not the end. Death is not a period, it's a comma. There's more. And this is what we get from the resurrection. But this isn't the end of the thing. And what we believe about that, our belief about the future, doesn't just change our future, it changes our present. It changes how you live now. What you think is coming changes what you are doing in the here and now. There's a scene in The Lord of the Rings and... I got to say, I quoted Lord of the Rings like a couple weeks ago, and I am way over my nerd quota for the year. This is too much, guys. So sorry about that. Nonetheless, it's still good. There's a scene in Lord of the Rings where, you know, it's, it's kind of wrapping up and there's some good things going on um, after it's been hard and, and difficult. And Samwise Gamgee sees Gandalf, and um, he asks him this question. And as I, even as I read it, I can't help think of it in, in Rudy like in Rudy's voice uh, from the movie. You know, so anyway, this is Sam talking to Gandalf, and listen to what he says. Gandalf, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? A great shadow departed, said Gandalf, and then he laughed, and the sound was like music or like water in a parched land. And as he listened, the thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter, the pure sound of merriment for days upon days without count. Everything sad has come untrue. And this is the meaning of the resurrection, that the broken things can be made right. This doesn't mean you won't have pain. This doesn't mean you won't suffer. Coming to Jesus, giving your life to him, being baptized into Christ, saying, I'm following him for my life. You do that 
and it changes your future, and it changes your present. But it doesn't mean, oh, I'm a follower of Jesus, now everything's going to be great. It won't be. You will have pain and sadness and suffering. And following Christ will not make that suffering go away. But it will make the suffering count. It will make it matter, and, and it will help shape you and refine you. It will make something because this is actually all going somewhere in life. This life is, is on a, a real trajectory here. The pain will refine you. I don't know that I'm an optimistic guy by nature. I, I probably come to it honestly by my parents. Um, I've got some, I can be as cynical as anybody. Um, it's very easy to be like, oh, everything's lame and that stinks and that's no good and who cares and, and all that stuff. I, I can do that. Maybe, um, and maybe you're the same way. It's almost like the spirit of the age in our culture is to be kind of mildly cynical and skeptical about everything. If you're not cynical and skeptical, people look at you like there's something wrong with you. Um, and I get that. I, I see a lot of pain in the relationships that I'm in. I, I see a lot of pain and, and hard things that people are having to walk through. But the pain I've experienced and the pain I see in other people, it actually just drives me deeper into hope. It drives me deeper into, I need the resurrection to be true. I believe it is, but it also is, is helpful to me um, that, that God is going to do something, that God has done something and he will do something where everything that is sad will come untrue, where he wipes away every tear from our eyes. Um, I believe that is our future. And I perform funerals. And when you perform funerals, you think about the, the end game. You think about the long term here. You think about where this is all going. And the only thing I can give people at a funeral is the hope of the resurrection, the hope that Christ is going to undo the suffering. So what Jesus did on that Easter Sunday changes what I'm going to do today. And it changes the way we live our lives now. And it gives me hope. And my hope that it gives you hope too. Now what happened next after the resurrection? There's still a few more chapters of Luke. Um, I want to talk about that next week, about, okay, this happened, and then where does it go, and how does it get us to where we're at today, and how should we now live in light of this information? Because maybe on Easter we stop at, you know, the resurrection, have a great day, you know, that kind of thing. But there's more. And so come back next Sunday, and we will finish up this series, and we'll talk about the aftermath of, of that whole thing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I, I thank you for the resurrection, the, the true wonderful story where you have made the sad things come untrue and you have wound back death and, and kind of un, undone the curse. Um, and I pray that uh, anyone here who does not know you, is not following you, will give their lives to you, will pursue you, um, not just today because it's Easter, but every day going forward, we will pursue you and... Um, and follow you. Thank you, Lord, for this great resurrection that we celebrate. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.